0: Welcome to Managing Projects, the podcast for project managers in search of trends and insights. Join us as our guests dig deep into the thought-provoking topics that matter most to project management professionals. You can find all the episodes at managingprojects.ca. And now here's your host, Ron Smith.
1: Welcome to the Managing Projects podcast. I'm your host, Ron Smith. And today I have Steve Martin from Cottage Street Consulting. He has 20 years experience and he is the founder of that company. Steve's a sought after speaker at major conferences all over the place. He speaks at the Scrum Gatherings, PMI Global Conferences and PMI Leadership Institutes and has a passion for training. So today on the episode, we are going to be talking about troubled project recovery, which is near and dear to my heart. So without further ado, welcome, Steve.
0: Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it
1: oh my pleasure so maybe just just give the highlights of what a project like that looks like and and i know you have an an agile slant that you like to be focused on those particular kinds of projects that are involved in agile
0: yeah and kind of the funny thing is is regardless of whether you're agile or or not <laughs> there are certain characteristics of some things um i, I think that we've all pretty much felt, no matter how good we are, of when a trouble project just happens to pop up, you know, whether you inherit it or unfortunately, this even has happened to me, you've uh, created a trouble project. Um, So what it looks like is (laughs) basically tensions are really high. You know, I find that uh, the people on the teams, the management, the executives, the customers, all of them, their patience is just really short. There are folks that Their expectations are just not being met, and they're just really frustrated, and they're they're, they're just a little bit on the miserable, and and when you get down to it, they're just trying to hang in there, and it's just really not a positive or fun experience.
1: More so than your typical project that has a list of issues and a list of risks, this somehow passes a threshold. Sometimes when I describe this, I, I would say there's no real clear means to fix them.
0: Yeah, it's like you're kind of uh, you're, you're just beyond the eye of the storm. You are the storm, <laughs> and with everything <laughs> oh swir- and the- with everything swirling around, you're ju- you just kind of sit back there and you just kind of go um, help.
1: <laughs> so the interesting thing about IT, though, is if you're if you're one of our listeners who works in IT and you haven't been involved in a troubled project, buckle your seatbelt because at some point in your career, the chances are you'll be in one.
0: Yeah, and. When I've been the one that has created the Trouble Project, <laughs> that is one of those like, huh, little humbling experiences. But you know what? Out of all of these things here, uh, there's, there's tremendous things to learn. So um, I, I tend to look at these really as learning opportunities, as uncomfortable as they are. They really are an opportunity for us to learn and become better uh, as either project managers, as, as uh, just line managers, or even executives moving forward.
1: So I'm picturing the plane flying over the company. They've parachuted you in, parachutes open, and you're drifting Uh into the company. Step one, where do you start us off? Like Where where do you even get your boundaries or your scope here?
0: (laughs) So it's really kind of funny. When folks give me a call, it's usually somebody from the business or somebody from the technology uh, side. And they're just saying, things are not going well. I want you to come in and fix it. And I'm more than happy to come in and help um but the first conversation i have with the person who gives me that call is really having that conversation should you even be doing this project in the first place right you know and they're like just we want to hire you to fix this i'm like that's fabulous you know i'd love to take your money but should you even be doing this in the first place and the biggest trick that i say here is i is i want you to think about this project or the product that you're working on from your competitors perspective if you were your competitor would you do this project today would you even pick a project like this and even begin it because if you can start removing yourself from that situation that's you know really passionate you've got a lot of stake into that particular position or whatever it is that you've been working on there's a lot that you've invested in it and you wanna kinda rescue your baby And I'm just like Should you even have the baby to begin with? Mm, Then when you start mm -hmm. thinking about it from that competitor's perspective, you know, would the person down the street do this project? It just kind of opens up that conversation of, huh, let's talk about that. So
1: do you have any frameworks you like to use when you're in that conversation?
0: Well, there's a couple that I like to use. You know, If it's just a a, a singular project or something that is fairly much contained, uh, there's something out there called a Lean Model Canvas, or LMC, and you can go out there and search on any of these with any of the search engines. So if you search for Lean Model Canvas, uh, when you look at one of those and you pop it up, it's got a bunch of different questions on there, and it's intended to be a short conversation about an hour or two and these templates that you can find out there for like a for a lean model canvas are intended to be on one sheet of paper because if you can't describe these things in uh, small chunks and focus down your conversation uh, you haven't quite got it yet but as part of this lean model canvas they talk about things such as you know what's the problem you're trying to solve what's the solution that you have and what is it that's very unique about you And your situation and what is the unfair advantage that you and your company can bring to this particular product that you're working on Um, and it really brings that to life, you know, what is it about this that truly makes this special? And then it has some other things in there, such as, you know, who are your customers, you know, where are your costs and where do your revenues come from? And if you have all of these types of things, there's a couple more things on that canvas, but if you have this conversation and problem solution uniqueness, who's your customer, anticipated costs and revenues from here, and you have these things in front of you, it makes things just a little bit more objective. Now, if it's something that's bigger than that, if it's more like a portfolio, or you're looking at a company strategy or a set of projects or a set of products, I actually tend to like something called a business model canvas or a BMC. And on there, uh, again, it is a one pager. And what you try to do in this here is look at your business, so it's just beyond a single project. You look at your business, like what are the key activities of your business? What are the key resources of your business? What's the value proposition of your business? And who are the customers and customer segments that you're going to be working with? So it tends to look across that portfolio level as opposed to a singular project level. And of course, it looks for costs and revenue streams as well, Uh, but it has that bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you use a LMC for some of the smaller things or a BMC for some of the bigger things, it's trying to get those objective um, evaluations down on one sheet of paper using bullet points so you can have that conversation uh, with the folks in the room. Now, the question becomes, who are those folks in the room? Well, you shouldn't be doing this with just, you know, let's say just the business or just IT or just one department. When you create projects... And you execute projects. They take multiple folks. You know, it's not just one department. It's multiple departments. So you want to have a group of you know five to nine or so folks in that conversation around that model canvas.
1: I really like this approach. Um, I, I've seen it with startups actually, where they use the lean canvas and they basically have you know four sheets of paper in front of them, and, and you can tweak different areas of the box. You could say, well, if you were selling to this market or or that, you'd have a different sheet for that variable. Or if you're to say your product strategy is this or it's, you know, this feature set, you can you can you can have that. And I really like it because you can talk through your variables very quickly and you can basically throw out the ones that don't make sense.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some great things that we can learn from multiple tool sets from multiple industries. You know, Lean Startup has a set of tools. There's a variety of tools as part of, you know, various agile approaches such as Scrum, such as Kanban, such as XP or Extreme Programming. You know, there's some fantastic concepts that you can borrow from Lean, you know, which was based out of uh, the Toyota production system and the whole how do you make your operations um, have less waste along the way so you can deliver better and faster. So there's uh, so many tools that are out there. What we try to bring in as our part of thinking in these turnarounds is, what are these tools that we have available so we can generate those conversations on, are we really doing the right thing?
1: So that's your step one, and you're, you're hoping to get the why. You know, the why would you do this project? Perhaps are you gauging how committed is the company to this
0: yeah, and I've also seen companies you know, with a high degree of commitment, and that is an amazing thing, but I want them to have a high degree of commitment for something that's going to have a return or something that's going to be viable for them. Because if they're going to put that commitment and invest their time, resources, and money into it, I want it to be successful, and I'm sure they do too. I want something to come out of it that's positive.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you get into the sizing of the project in in this as well you're trying to you're trying to figure out is this a small project that just went sideways or is it part of a, a monster size project for the company
0: well I think you you kind of lead me right into. The next thing that I do, and I take a look at the size of the project, you know, um, there's been a lot of reports that have been done about um, smaller incremental projects having more success than larger ones. Uh, One of them is the most famous from the Standish uh, Chaos Report. Of the surveyed projects from around 2011 to 2015, this is around 50,000 projects around the world, so it has a really nice representation. They found that of all the successful projects, uh, 62% of them were successful um, if they were small, and only 6% of the successful projects were considered large. So if you're 10 times more likely (laughs) to be successful with a smaller project, I want us to take a look at some of these big ones that we're looking at, uh, because that could have been one of the reasons for the uh, trouble in the first place. I wanna see if there's a way that we can break this down into smaller chunks or smaller increments, uh, not only so that we can focus, but we can also limit technical risk because if you're working on something smaller, you're not working on something terribly big, chances are you can focus in an area and reduce some technical risk, but you can also validate whether or not you're going in the right direction with that product with your customers and your stakeholders. And so if you can do a chunk, let's say in a three month time period, and get it out there, uh, you can actually get a win. Hey, look, we actually got something out there. No, it's not the full thing, but we're showing progress and we're moving the step forward.
1: Celebrating the wins in these troubled projects is a must.
0: Yeah. And if you can build on that positive momentum instead of just that, uh, you know, the, the dreaded drumbeat, <laughs> doom doom, you know, of folks coming in every day, and you build on that positive momentum, even if it's small, um, you get a lot more spring for your step out of that, and you can really deal with that emotional and psychological uh, hit that they took.
1: Where do you head next?
0: I also want the group to consider a roadmap. I find that many troubled projects that I've run into don't have an idea of a roadmap. They want everything all at once in the very first release, because in past, uh, projects they've only had one release <laughs> and if they didn't get it in that one release they were never going to go back and get more funding afterwards to go do those secondary things so it's no wonder that you go into some of these organizations and you think about requirements or features on a scale of high medium or low everything is high <laughs> well <laughs> everything can't be high all at once Right. and so yeah. if you can create a roadmap that says okay in the first chunk we're going to look at this we think the timeline looks something like that. Our second chunk looks like that. And our third chunk looks like that. And then for each of these chunks, these are the customer segments or the people who are going to target for these various things. If you can start to be transparent for how you're going to build these things, it's going to remove some of the uneasiness, some of the uncertainty about whether or not you can actually deliver some of these things because you're being very transparent with this is the path of how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. again, what you're trying to do is, okay, once you build off the first one, you've had your first increment success. Chances are folks are going to look at that second and third and maybe the fourth increment with a a higher positive light.
1: One of the things that I notice when I have done these in the past is how down the team is. There's a lot of emotions. Um, You know what I've in, uh, noticed as well is it's not just the team members sometimes their families back home are saying
0: <laughs> uh, yeah
1: hey, hey Bill, Billy's got a, a job down the street he's in i t as well he, he's fine <laughs> <laughs> well, you know maybe they're hiring and and so but and I say that kind of tongue in cheek but the reality is is sometimes you're dealing with people's you know raw emotions they've been there for a while and they're tired. And and they've had, you know, missed vacations. And there's this constant, you know, push, push, let's just make it to the weekend. And that happens again, and again, and again, and again. So uh, what do you look for? What have you seen uh, of kind of the the emotional connection of some of your team members? And, and how do you try to kind of unlock that and, and uh, work with a team that you get working with?
0: Well, I think there's three different levels or three different areas that can help uh, with that emotional support. And this is where I find the greatest amount of my coaching when I'm on site. And it's really kind of funny. Sometimes they say, "Are you sure you're not a psychologist? Should we just get one of those Chase lounges and put it off in the corner?" <laughs> I right. feel like we, I, I feel like you're a good psychologist when this when this happens. Um, so if you're a project manager or you're somebody who's on a project team, you're you're in there in the moment. And the biggest thing that you can do, especially if you're a leader or you see one of your teammates that's just starting to to flip out and And they're just it's not a good day it's not a good day you know you need to reach out to that person before it spreads uh to other folks um what i have found in my experience is that whatever emotion is prevalent in the room that's the emotion that's going to continue building momentum moving forward so if you have a negative room it tends to become more negative but if you've got a positive room it tends to become more positive take that person out for coffee, take that person out for lunch, uh, remove them from the team, take them off to the side. Not, I'm not saying remove them permanent from the team, but you know, take them away from the team and have a conversation with that person of what's frustrating them because sometimes they just want to get it out. This is really making me mad today or this is really frustrating me today. And figuring out once that frustration is out there, how do you address that? The next thing that you can do from a management or an executive level is, <laughs> I know that managers and ex- executives are getting really antsy, you know, especially executives who've got a lot of money on the line and they have a lot of their reputation on the line. Um, when are you going to deliver? When are you going to deliver? When are you going to deliver? Stop asking that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right.
1: What should we they all ask? Know. Ins- what should they ask instead?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. We all know that we want to deliver. What we should be doing instead is okay. We know that these are the objectives. This is a vision. How can I help the teams with that vision? This right. is what I know I can do. I can. Talk with the stakeholders to manage expectations and put a protective bubble around the team so you're not getting hit with angry phone calls from stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Um, I can have proactive conversations with the stakeholders management teams or the customers teams or the sales teams to say, okay, here's our roadmap, here's where we are. Um, Would you like to have a demonstration at the end of the month (laughs) of where we're at or at the end of the week? You know, so calming the masses and saying, okay, this is what we can do in order to make this happen or if there are things that the teams run into that they need the help. Um, hey, we've got these three things that we're working on, but we think we can only get two out of these three things done in the time frame. And so the instant reaction I get from most managers executives is we'll suck it up. <laughs> Put your right. shoulder into it, just get it done. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the question we need to ask there is, okay, Let's focus on these two. Or you say, which are the two that you recommend? You ask the teams. And if the teams don't know, I can choose for you. Do you want me to do that? (laughs) Most of the teams already know which one or two that they want to do. And they say, okay, what is the increment that we need in order to get that third one done? Right and more time, more resources, where more resources even applicable. You know, I'm I'm blanking on the name of the law, but there is a management law out there that just throwing more people onto a project (laughs) actually makes the projects go slower.
1: (laughs) Hey, this is Ron. I've been an Audible member for a long time. I'm taking a short break from the interview, to let you know how you can support this podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. If you have not checked out Audible, then you need to. This has been an invaluable tool that I've used to catapult my learning over the years. This week, I wanna recommend a book to you and it's fitting with this topic of troubled project recovery. The book's title is The 17 Essential Qualities of a Team Player by John Maxwell. John Maxwell is a fantastic author, he's one of my favorites, and you can definitely use what you will find in this book during a troubled project recovery. You can download this week's recommendation or pick another audiobook for free and support this podcast all at the same time by visiting managingprojects.ca forward slash audible. That's managingprojects.ca forward slash audible. Now back to the interview. Really what you're doing is strategizing with them. What can we accomplish next? What's feasible? Okay, we got that plan. Let's go. I like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's multiple studies out there that show when you have that more participatory approach you actually long-term get better results. Um, There was one study that I was looking at. um, I'm kind of a, a glutton for punishment. I'm in a doctoral program right now, and I'm researching empowerment by middle managers specifically. And what the research is telling us is that, yes, if you are a middle manager or even executive and you go in and you tell somebody to go do something, yes, you are going to get an immediate bump. But that bump is going to be short-lived. And what happens when you go in there and you start telling people what to do, over time, those teams are going to tend to wait for direction as opposed to being proactive. Mm -hmm. But if you've got more of the participatory approach, yes, initially, it may not seem like you're getting as far and as quick, but over time, they tend to be more innovative quicker, have more buy-in, and have more pride in the product that it is that they're actually creating. And so the trick for managers and executives is to create that environment of, yes, there is a sense of urgency, but we're going to be looking at this together from a team perspective, from a management perspective, an executive perspective, all together to get this project back on track and where it is that we need to go.
1: Steve, can you come in and fix our troubled project? A way to translate that is how do you get the team unstuck because the team is often very competent for whatever reasons they've hit some roadblocks that they're stuck or they're they're moving too slow or what have you but when you get the, the team moving and you can start to see the velocity of their work
0: uh-huh.
1: that's when they start to believe oh maybe we have a shot at this uh-huh. i liked what you said about almost being a psychologist first of all they're nervous so so let's take a 50 person team <laughs> and, they, and they've been struggling Guy comes in on the parachute and I think one of 2 I think one of two I think one of two things goes through the teammates mind at that point. One is is this guy gonna help or is he gonna put a stick of dynamite in it and may we may we potentially be out of work soon? I, I think that's what goes through their head is they're very nervous. And so I think what they're looking for is they're gonna make a determination on you, the trouble project recovery guy or gal and say, do I trust this person with what I'm about to tell them? Do I need to be in defense mode? Or do I need to be in contributing strategy mode where I'm gonna put my shoulder into it with them? Yeah,
0: and that all happens really, really quickly. And how the management and the executive team brings me into an organization or any turnaround person into an organization is so incredibly critical. Because naturally, folks are already upset yeah and and folks are already tender, and then who is this person coming in, and can i uh can I even work with this person? and like you like you just basically said, am I even going to have a job? I mean, so there's a lot of fear in there, and so going in there with a heavy hammer tends to not work out so well. When I was very young and doing this you know ten, fifteen years ago, that's the way I went in. <laughs> yeah, those didn't work out so well come from the perspective of listening to what it is that they're saying as opposed to the emotion and how they're saying it, you Mm -hmm. can really get far. The next thing that I like to do is hold a retrospective. Mm -hmm. And I want the whole team there. This is hard for managers specifically. They're the ones that really have the hardest time with this. What do you mean you want to do a pause? We're already behind and you're going to take two days to pause We're going to lose two days of productivity. By and far, when I've had that two-day pause, and we do this very specifically, I've had more success with turnarounds by just saying, you know what, we're going to hit a pause. We recognize things are not going so well here. Um, We see the frustration in everybody's eyes, and we don't think that's good for you. We don't think it's good for the product. We don't think it's good for the company. And we want to have an open conversation about how we can make things better. And so borrowing from, actually comes from some XP practices or extreme programming practices, this concept of looking back so you can improve how things are looking forward. And so the whole idea with a retrospective, um, some folks say, okay, what are the things, uh, we talk about what are the things that went well and what are the things that didn't go so well? Well, that's, that's kind of just on the surface of what a retrospective is. What a retrospective is, is figuring out what are those continuous improvement things that we can do to make our lives better. And so if you go in there with that retrospective uh, point of view as opposed to a lessons learned point of view. To me, lessons learned is more backwards. Yeah. Here's what went good, here's what went bad. You know, if we had to do it over again, you know, here's what we can do. The idea with the retrospective is you're looking forward and the fate is in your hands. You've got the wheel. How do you want to improve things moving forward? And so if you start Looking at those things from all the perspectives from the people who were involved that got there in the first place, chances are you're going to have four or five ideas, really good ones, that people have come up with that for some reason they just weren't given the voice in order to try that. And so if you can surface those things on day one of a two-day pause... And then on day two, you can think about things such as, you know, creating a roadmap for the people who are involved. And what are those continuous improvement things that we just identified from day one that we're going to embed into that roadmap? Again, we're putting more of the fate and more of the control in the people who got there and we're just slowly and incrementally starting to shift things moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got the team there, the management there, the, and the executives, you know, your executive sponsor there, and you can have this facilitated by somebody uh, who's experienced in doing this, you can start to move things around.
1: <laughs> I find it an interesting discussion when you get yourself in those retrospective reports. The team often thinks that they are playing by a certain r- rule book. So the rule book would include we have to build all of the scope. We have to follow all the processes as they are to a T. And they have other rules that they'll throw in there too. And they will think they're ironclad. We must do this. This is what we were asked to do. We must do this. And they believe that they are handcuffed. And to say, is that, is that a true assumption? Let's list all of the, you know, the, the big rock items that are immovable if that roadblock wasn't there, how could you get it done? Well, Steve, I I really like this topic, Recovering Troubled Projects. So thank you today for talking to us. So if folks did want to reach out to you, where would you point them?
0: So there's a couple places. I have my website, uh, www.cottagestreetconsulting.com. That's all one word. And on cottagestreetconsulting.com, There's a couple different pages on there. You've got some resources from uh, some previous white papers, some blogs, uh, some previous conferences, all that stuff you can download for free. So you can take a look at the information there. And you can also take a look at my workshops page. And I've got my public courses offered there as well as my list of private courses as well. And click on anything in there and you will be directed to my email, which is Steve at cottagestreetconsulting.com.
1: Well, thank you for your time, Steve.
0: It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Managing Projects Podcast. Find show notes and more at managingprojects.ca and follow us on Twitter at manage underscore PROJ. If you enjoy the show, help us out by recommending it to a friend or leaving a review on iTunes. Talk to you next time.